What's good, everybody? My name is Tim Karen, and this is the Performance Health Podcast. We're on web show number six. Today, we're going to be talking about blood tests with Robert Jacobs and Corey Hobbs. This is going to be a deep episode, one we're going to get really in the weeds on a lot of different topics. But I want to put a disclaimer on there, putting in this note that we're all strength coaches trying to figure out what is the scope, trying to figure out what's the best way to provide high-level service. So we're going to go into that upper limit of what we can do with our clients and athletes and then comparing that to what triggers do we need to pull in order to get the best results for our clients and athletes. We could talk a lot about the connection to body composition, just general performance or health markers that we can kind of start to triangulate what's the best means to getting more advanced, higher level tests like blood work. It's going to be an amazing episode. If you like this episode, make sure you become a member of the PH curriculum so you can access the videos, all the notes, all the resources in there. We actually have a list of reference ranges within the notes at the PH curriculum. So if you go to applications, you search web show six, you go through this episode in video format, you go through the transcripts, and then you go to suggested resources and material, you'll find the list of reference ranges there. So become a member, phpodcast.com. I guarantee you will not regret it. If you're listening to this podcast, that probably means you're a strength coach or want to be a strength coach. And man, do I have the resource for you. It's called How to Become a Strength Coach, Periodizing Your Career in Strength Conditioning. This is your start to finish seminal resource to get you to becoming the best possible strength coach you can ever be. You can get your copy along with access to our course at phpodcast.com. This is a must-have for any strength conditioning coach or any aspiring strength conditioning coach out there. It will not only give you a step-by-step tutorial on how to become a strength coach, it will help you optimize your career every step of the way. Absolute must-have. If you like this podcast, get the book. Tim, we're talking blood this week. I'm really excited for this topic because this is one of those where you get real deep in the weeds and there's a lot to discuss. So hit us with the overarching principles we didn't know about blood. The the thing that hopefully for most of us listening to this, probably strength conditioning coaches, if there are some doctors out there listening to this, thank you. If you're like me, this is going to be an area that you're going to really struggle with in terms of scope, right? What is the limitations? What's the emerald limit? How valuable is this information, right? And I think if we're going to really get into any direction here, it's going to go through this simple guise of what is the limitations to what we need to know and what is it going to lead into in terms of that? So I think the area that I would always like to look at is this filtration process with any screening, right? More advanced, more nuanced, the more open for interpretation, that kind of stuns itself into how did we get to this point, right? And this chicken or the egg scenario of, do we look at blood right off the bat and say, that is the foundational piece and we're going to work everything off of that. Or in the other level, it's pretty hard to get. It's expensive. It is sometimes going to get met with in terms of your, your actual colleagues in the athletic departments that you work with, or if you're working within a private setting, there's a lot of barriers to entry. It's, it's a little bit, you got to go down to a lab. You got to get your blood drawn. Sometimes these very comprehensive panels might be pulling in five, six, eight vials of blood, which for a lot of folks is a lot. It gets into this other thing of you get their ranges. So you might need to get some sort of software that has an update range. Then it's not really giving you any correlations amongst itself. Sometimes they're like they're clustered together of a 
a cardiovascular one, looking like cholesterol and things like that nature. Sometimes it's going to be a glucose and insulin one clustered together. Sometimes it's going to be a basic metabolic panel, as Rob would call a BMP. This, this idea that you get into of like, it's not the easiest thing in the world. So my hope from this and this front end and what do we know is really going to get into a more practical approach to this and looking, hey, if I'm listening to this, it's just basically nice to know really impractical information. I don't want that because I've been through enough blood interpretation seminars and I've read enough books to know the rate limiting step as always is going to be, do I feel comfortable with this as well as is actually feasible. Some states are going to be just violently restrictive to getting blood panels without some sort of medical reason. So there's a, it's a stoppage before you can even get going conversation. And it kind of becomes useless information unless you're finding some workarounds or at least having a reason to it. And then it kind of goes into this next direction of the old TPI model of like build your network. So if I have a point where I'm finding something that's basically outside of my scope, then I have a referral. I can find some sort of functional medicine or osteopathic or someone that can look at blood panels and make a really good decision that works in synergy with what I'm going to do from a strength training or a cardiovascular or a nutrition perspective. And then the final component to this is, is knowing the information as valuable as doing the things that actually improve that information. And this is always going to be the catch 22 of hardware or software or anything that creates a little bit more cost to play, right? Pulling comprehensive panels on an entire football team is a very cost prohibitive thing. And what is the actual appropriate cadence to actually do that, right? I can do baseline blood and then I can look at post blood and I can see the difference there. And then you go into this, wow, I'm glad I know that information, right? I have, and some of the stuff is always like, no, no shit, Sherlock. Like when we get to in season sports that play all through the winter, vitamin D levels are always going to be low. And you go into this conversation of like, oh man, we got to test for vitamin D. Well, you probably know that they're working against their natural circadian. They're not having any natural light they're playing late into the night under fluorescent lights they have awful sleep schedules maybe they aren't running around with this ability to absorb uh, vitamin d in their natural environment they might be in a northern climate they might have a lot less melanin in their skin they might have all this stuff that kind of facilitates something where they're not going to get as much vitamin D. So you should already know that you're going to probably vitamin supplement with vitamin D3. That stuff comes up all the time when we're talking about blood. It's this I don't need to test blood. I can just use logic here that their subscap and their iliac crest and their their umbilical is like through the roof. It's probably going something going on with stress and and glucose and insulin management. Like this this stuff that's incredibly obvious. Like don't eat like a 2-year-old and go to bed. I don't necessarily think I need a huge blood panel. And I'm not trying to be dismissive of blood. I think it's incredibly impactful. And I think it's a really important thing to track. I just want to be really upfront with every strength conditioning coach that's listening to this going, this is useless information because I have no scope to one, get these panels and then two, interpret these panels. And then the final aspect is, if I'm really good at my job, those panels should organically change. And then the really big elephant in the room, is the elite level populations, this 18 to 24 year old range, they're always going to come out healthy. They're always, right? Like if you have someone that has a very statistically weird outlier type of number outside of a range that's normally through, that stuff is probably off the process of something else that happened. And a medical doctor intervened and said, I need to test, run these panels in order to see that. 
But generally speaking, if they're playing football or basketball, if they're strength training three to four days a week, if they're a normal, healthy, young adult, if you full, run a full panel on it, it's going to come back really fine every single time. It's all going to be green in range. So it kind of creates this next question of how necessary is that information with this really elite level, high level populace. And then you get into this now razors in margins of going from this 99th or 98th percentile to the 99th. That's when you need to bring in someone who's probably a lot more qualified to be able to do that. And that gets into a whole other conversation. They have a much more disposable resource than but if I'm listening to this and I'm going, why the hell do I need to learn about blood? It gets into this conversation if it stretches your limits. It stretches you to a larger thing. And it looks at the consequences to understanding that what we do has an impact. And if I do a lot of anaerobic exercise, if I'm in a surplus in calories, if I'm eating an abundance of protein, all the time you see these blood things come up, right? How many times have you ever got a comprehensive metabolic panel and then you get a really high creatine level and your doctor creatine kinase and your doctor's yeah. like, oh man, this is bad. Like I eat two, three, two to 300 grams of protein and I strength train three to four days a week. I don't have rhabdomyolysis. I simply just eat a lot of protein and have a lot of net protein turnover. Then I'm breaking down muscle fiber and I'm building it back up with a surplus of protein. Creatine kinase isn't that big of a deal. And you get to someone who may be a little bit more versed and, and well, I, I guess, astute of what's going on with people who are strength training or, or involved in strength conditioning, it gets in this conversation of they're going to be fine with that number. But if you talk to a traditional medical doctor, like something's going on, like your liver is screwed, your kidneys are screwed, like you are definitely going to die. Like, oh, no, nah, I'm doing this intentionally. I know what I'm doing here. And then the other part, we talked about this last episode with this idea of cheating or not cheating, but trying to fast track and expedite things that you know you need to do on a recurring basis of eating healthy and being conscious of cardiovascular health is this idea of TRT. And if you're doing anabolic steroids or if you're doing stuff that's pharmaceutically enhancing, you better be doing some sort of blood panels on a recurring basis. You better not be doing that blind. You're playing with a lot less, a lot less margin of error. And if you're kind of going about that, like, whatever, I don't care about my liver or my prostate or my kidneys or, or anything else that's producing androgens or having, or I'm sorry, those things don't produce androgens, but looking at things that produce androgens in conjunction with these things are going to have a consequence from always having a gross amount of protein synthesis going on, then you're going to have a really big outcome that you're not, you're not going to like. And what I would say here is it's important until it's not important until it is. And when we look at blood panels and we look at understanding this stuff, you can kind of be naive and in the dark about it and kind of say, it's, I just know what good training is. I know what good nutrition is. I know how to change these metrics without that. Great. But then it becomes important when it actually becomes an issue of someone you're working with is using anabolic steroids or someone you're working with is in this 98th percentile and they need to get this little bit of an edge to get them to the 99th percentile. We find out vitamin D levels are low. We find out cortisol is high. We find out that their monocytes, isophilanols, and basophils are out through the roof. And these are all rate limiting steps from a digestive, from immune, from an endocrine, from a cardiovascular, from a nervous system perspective. And it has this huge second order. So high level, Corey, the, the answer is, you probably don't need to know this on a like day-to-day -day basis, but if I'm a betting man, the person listening to this podcast, the person that's going through these web shows and going through all the suggested resources, which will have all the panels listed in the notes, 
probably really as excited and interested in this idea of how do I cross this threshold? And we'll have all these great resources to go through from Dr. Laval, from Dr. House, Dr. Gardner. We can go into some various really good resources that are going to be far greater than me. But I want to look at this from your perspective, strength coach. I want to talk to you directly and say that I'm just there with you. And I've gone through these, these courses and these books and go, kind of useless information until it wasn't. And I work with a little elite level population and I can communicate on some level like, okay, so this person's struggling with this area and I can now have some sort of intervention that matches their, their medical or their, their dietary, or just simply just adjusting some things from a hormonal perspective. I can better accommodate that much like I would do if someone's coming off surgery and I can accommodate training to meet the needs of repairing a surgically repaired tendon or ligament. And I can find better ways from a movement prescription or a volume intensity and frequency prescription. Same thing with looking at someone who's got an off-kilt endocrine or an off-kilt nervous or an off-kilt like off uh, immune or cardiovascular. I, I can find solutions that match what they're seeing from a blood panel perspective better by having a simple understanding of what is good and bad from blood perspective. That's a really good point about, you know, the listeners, like it's probably not going to matter most of the time, but like people listening, like you and me, like we're always self-experimenting. We want to know what we're doing makes a difference or otherwise, you know, why are we doing it? So being able to dive into it, at least for ourselves to start. And then you kind of like, oh, when I did this, like, oh, this might be applicable to client A or, or whoever. And there, there is a lot of barriers to entry, like no doubt about it. And if you've never given eight to nine bottles of blood, it, it can take a lot out. I almost passed out last time I did like a really full comprehensive panel. Like, it was rough. Yeah. Um, all that being said, like, is, is a basic panel you get at your yearly physical enough? Like, is there a battery of tests like we should really hammer in on? Yeah. If you really want to dive into how blood impacts performance, you're probably going to need a couple more in a, in a conjunction with a, a metabolic panel. So if you go to a, your phys, a physician and they say, we're going to pull a, just a basic panel here, they're going to look at that cholesterol. They're going to look at uh, a lot of red blood, blood cell magnesium, a lot of um, hemoglobin count, you know, just things that like, all right, if this thing's out of range, that there's something that they can kind of lead into from cardiovascular or metabolic disease, maybe a early indicator for something like cancer, especially if you're male or female, there's going to be certain markers that are just more relevant towards these. Hopefully we're on the front end of predicting disease. And you got to look at that. That's their lens. That's what they look at. Like much like a surgeon only wants to do surgery. Mm -hmm. A physician only wants to really be on the front end of trying to find a pathology or disease state before it's a really big problem because a lot easier to fix early on than it is later. Right. So that's their lens. And if you're looking at this, like, damn, I really want to know my free versus total testosterone. Or I want to look at if I'm going through aromatase pathways and I'm turning that testosterone into estrogens through potentially estradiol or progest or turning progesterone into estradiol and then estrogen. Like you can start to look at these things as downstream pathways. That's going to have a big impact on your ability to put on muscle or your ability to recover from workouts. If you wanted to find out more about, how your digestive system's functioning. Maybe a really good indicator would be looking at monocytes, isophilanols, and basophils, and looking at those in isolation as well as conjunction. Because what are the things that you're doing most redundantly? It's eating. It's eating. And if you're having a mild allergenic response and you're creating this immune system response, you'll start to see white blood cell count go up. And everybody tells me gluten allergy is not a real thing or dairy allergy is not a real thing. 
or there's no such thing as a bad food. There is, and there are realness to allergies, right? And you start to understand that when we start to look at blood panels and we start to look at consequences from redundancy in eating, that's what diet, diet, diets really become is, is a consolidation down of food choices into a small, minute list that you can recurrently do that you can simply fall into this routine of not having to count or weigh. But the reality is it's this high redundancy in foods. Not only that, it leads into this conversation of it's easier to calculate or quantify when you break them apart from this combined macronutrient split. So if I look at a cut of protein that's 20% fat, I got to calculate in my head how many grams of fat was in that actual 20% of that food constitute or that food volume. That's a lot harder math than going, I'm going to go a 90% lean and then I'm going to figure out how to get my fat from other sources and isolated sources like olive oil and avocado and butter, et cetera. A lot of times diet becomes, how do we quantify more readily? And that's going to shrink the list as well as how do I get this very deliberate prescription? And that creates a separation. We have this now knowledge of knowing when we break apart these macronutrients and take them in isolation in order to meet a macronutrient goal or try to time some sort of macronutrient at a specific time of day, that we're going to have some sort of problems from a digestive standpoint, leaky gut, dysbiosis, low hydrochloric acid, low pepsin, something going on with small, small intestines, changing the bacteria line in there or the bacteria amount in there, large intestines from not eating enough fibrous rich food or prebiotic rich food. And then we get into this conversation of now I'm creating a mild allergenic response from these foods that I'm eating redundantly to better quantify and better really make these goals work. And if I'm not seeing monocytes, isophilinols, and basophils and reaching a higher and higher number, then I'm probably going to be running blind and I'm just going blindly off my body composition, which you're for a deficit and you're controlling your macros, you're probably going to make a dent in that body comp. But when you start to see acne start to occur, when you start to see redness and inflammation and swelling of the skin and the joints, we could probably attribute that to potentially a mild allergenic response. And probably a very early indicator of that would be monocytes, isophils, and basophils. That would be a really good one. And then we start to look at other panels and we start to look at how do I get further in the weeds? You know, HB1AC, fasting blood glucose, all those things have a really big impact on your glucose and insulin control. And what you really can break it down if someone's a high body comp, you already know that they're probably going to struggle with carbohydrate tolerance or carbohydrate in general. And you look at, oh man, you're seven HB1AC. You've been having a really high circulating amount of insulin. No wonder why you put on 30 pounds and you're struggling to lose any weight. Your body's always in this circulating level of insulin based off of eating high glycemic foods or foods that break down really quickly that release insulin from the pancreas and that potentially not utilizing at a local muscular level. And then you're not going through these GLUT4 transport systems and not developing this mTOR pathway. Then you're building more fat, which is always going to be more accepting to this circulating glucose and having insulin really work its magic in that direction. And just the dynamic, which I'm hopefully trying to present, is if you get a comprehensive metabolic panel that you're probably going to go through a physician and they're probably going to look through the lens of everything's fine. You work out three or four days a week. You are eating somewhat of a regimented diet. Great. If you wanted to get a little bit more nuanced and go, okay, well, why can't I add five pounds of lean muscle mass or fill like a plateaued? Or why can't I, I lose five pounds of fat mass? Or why am I not recovering? 
that means you're going to have to expand that panel a little bit and you're going to go outside your physician to do that, which is going to go maybe a discountlabs.com, which you can order or request a lab that you can do at a very discounted price. You can isolate them out. Maybe it's a learning adventure or a learning exercise of, I just want to see and track testosterone versus free total versus free testosterone over a period of time. You can get these like clustered packages looking at male comprehensive panel, or you can look at a cardiovascular risk panel. You can get a, a female panel. You can get all these different panels and these like clustered discounted rates to self-experiment, but also to understand what is it that I'm looking for from a performance or an outcome. And how do I triangulate certain panels to better understand that? But it's probably going to come outside the construct of a traditional physician system, which sucks, right? Like it's all, it's all reactive medicine, not proactive medicine. So the preventative care model is something that's taking slow to build and definitely not really getting much traction in regards to the big pharma really getting it out of the way as well. So I'm not trying to get into polarizing hot topics here, but what I'm really trying to say is that this information is really hard to get and you're going to have to work a little bit more than normal. But what's that? What, what isn't right? Like we, we talked about this hardware and software. We talked about this with doing a cardiovascular assessment. We talked about this with performance assessments that the more you're willing to dig, the more you're willing to try to find more reasons or more things that are leading into something that's slowing me down or limiting me in altogether the the more value you're going to get. And that just takes effort, right? That's the difference between, you know, being a really high level curious strength conditioning coach and someone who just goes, what's the, what's the point? You know, and I, that's the, that's the point of this list, this experience and this exercise for me is to go through, like, I'm with you. I've been in that situation. I've, I've tried to pull a blood panel in New York and good luck. I had to go across state lines to get it. And I'm asking myself while I'm driving across state lines with a lab request and you show your New York state license and they're like, why are you here? I'm like, well, I can't get this in Connecticut. And did your doctor order it? Like, no, I just bought labs on my own. Like, well, like that doesn't make sense. Like it does to me. I paid for it. Take my blood and then Take send me the result. Like, well, who's going to interpret this for you? A doctor? Like, no, me. Like, well, are you qualified to do that? If I'm not sick, does it matter? What do you care? I've been mm. there. I've been on the other note of like working with some of the highest level people in the world. And I'll give him a big shout out here. Dr. Laval is probably the best in the world has ever done this. And when I'm with him and I'm going through these blood panels and I'm going through this deal of like, if I was going to go to any doctor in the world, they'd be like, you're doing a great job, man. Cholesterol is really low. Blood glucose is really low. HB1AC is really low. Your overall panel is phenomenal. You're within range. Dr. Laval could pick it apart. You find things other people can. He's not nitpicking. He's not trying to just expose something to create value. He's literally finding something because he knows I want to put on more muscle and burn more fat, recover faster, coach at a higher level, be a better business owner, be a better boss, be a better husband, be a better father. Like I'm not trying to be in the median of every single like percentile of the, what I'm doing, I'm trying to be in the upper level. And that kind of guy like that is worth his weight in gold because he can find those little things that are going to give you an edge without having to resort to taking steroids or something else that, well, screw it. It's hard. It's hard to be all those things. And it's hard to get great results while being all those things. So I might as well just find something that makes that easier. Like I told him directly, I don't want to do that. And he found great solutions for me. And he found really good, eloquent breakdowns of my blood and then found, Hey, this is something that I think will really work for me from either a supplemental perspective or from a nutritional or lifestyle programming perspective. And that's, I think that part as an exercise, and seeing him quarterly for a couple of years, 
and then diving on all his books, going to his conferences, and then diving into some other great resources like Dr. Brian Walsh and some other really good, smart people that can really look at blood at a high level and thinking, God, thank God I took that because when it does come up, I am that much more abreast of that information as well as find myself as more of an asset with a very limited scope is being a strength coach. Like probably like most people, I can't do hands-on work and I can't pull panels or diagnose, but I'll be damned. I could probably still do a lot and do a lot more for a lot of people. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's a really good point on like the norms of a, a basic blood panel. Like as we look at the state of health in America, like those norms are just averages. Those are just going to keep shifting to the right. And so like you and me go get a blood panel. Like we look amazing. Like we're probably the best guy this doctor's ever seen his, in his career. Like, so, so it's really important to be able to understand, like diving into those other metrics, like it, it does matter. You listed, you listed Dr. Laval, you listed a couple other ones. Where, where else can we go? Cause like, there isn't a lot of good, like ranges of these, these deeper dives. So what, what are some good resources we should be looking at? So I would start off with two of where are you at with this, right? Yeah. Like, do you have a really good foundation of the endocrine system of the immune system, the cardiovascular system? I, I would. You know, plug here, but get on the curriculum. I put in all the suggested resources, go through all the yeah. systems and nutrition, because I think that's a start, right? And I would say if you go into that and you feel like you're way over your head and out of your depth, don't invest the money into something like that. But I would also come back and saying, like, if you're the type of person that likes, and I'm my way, I like to walk in a room and not know anything and go, okay, that's the bar. Like yeah. I now know what the bar is and that excites me. Like I'm challenged by that and I'm invigorated by that. And I feel like either I'm smart enough or I am earnest enough to push through and find a way to understand that stuff on some level. And that excites me, but I don't know if that's everybody. And I'm not trying to call anyone out. I'm not trying to mm-hmm. basically make our listeners feel like crap because I do know you have a lot on your plate. And I've talked to a lot of our listeners and I've talked to a lot of our subscribers on the website. Time is important. There's so much things to learn and understand, which is the big premise of the site. It's we're going to expose you stuff, expose you to stuff that you probably have never seen at a volume that you've never been a part of. And that's going to give you the opportunity to dive as deep as you want. And then you expand upon that in other areas. But Dr. Laval, I think, is the gold standard, in my opinion. He's the closest thing to a savant I've ever met. I would go into... Dr. Brian Walsh has got some really good courses. He's an amazing teacher. Blood Never Lies and then just gets in, I'm not Blood Never Lies Fat, it's not your fault. And then all of his courses, like he's just an amazing teacher. Dr. Ben House has got some really great stuff. Dr. Or I don't know if he's a doctor. Yeah, we'll call him. He's a doctor to me. Dr. Dan Garner. He's really good. I mean, there's some other strength coaches out there that, you know, will go into blood. And hopefully they're taking this like same as me, like here's the user guide, the practical guide. Here's what to think about from I'm working with groups of athletes or I'm working with clients. What do I really need to know here? What What's the, the, the pluses and minuses? Because I'll tell you, it's not an easy ask to ask your private training client that's struggling to make any changes that's coming in three times a week to go, I think you need to get a blood panel. Mm-hmm. It's not easy. Like unless you have a very, very strong influence on your client and they're going to listen to you no matter what they're probably going to show some sort of resistance to going to a lab and pulling blood and sharing that information with you and it's within their right to say that and i think that's something to be really cognizant of and i would look at those resources as not a excuse to go out there and saying okay now i'm going to break down your panel 
a lot of times they like to share that with you and you can kind of give your two cents of saying, Hey, I'm not an expert in this and I'm not going to diagnose anything, but this is good to know because I think we can need to adjust your carbohydrates or increase your protein, or maybe we shouldn't. I think we need to adjust the frequency, which we're working. I think we need to adjust the mesocycle structure of like, maybe we need to get more frequent deloads. I think we need to adjust a lot. And I think that part hopefully comes off as, as all system to get, Hey, I can do this within my scope and I can do a really good job with my clients and I can learn this stuff at my pace and I can expose myself to this information. And I've seen now potentially this idea of strength coaches going back and saying, well, how do I improve my scope and go back and get my, my doctorate in maybe chiropractic or osteopathic or looking at some sort of functional medicine or something where I can get a little bit more in the weeds. Chris Kresser has got a lot of great resources on creating a preventative based healthcare system, just a great resource in general. And I think that's the other part why I probably resonated with the paleo movement so much because I think they're probably the first real diet that said blood matters and we can support our decisions from a diet and nutrition standpoint, whether it was an ancestral push or whatever with blood panels. And one thing I loved about on and a lot of the guys out there that were pushing for more ancestral based diets and looking at it in the real ancestral based diets, not this crap about just eating one food group like me, like stop. I can guarantee you their blood panels are shit. Like they're fucking awful. Like that's just proof right there. It's not good. Either way though, real ancestral, it's eating starchy tubers, eating fruits and vegetables, eating things that come from one single source, right? If it can walk, fly, swim, run, or grow from the ground, it's probably good to eat kind of mentality. And then the other thought would be looking at this and saying, Hey, we looked at vitamin D levels for more prehistoric ancestral people. And we found they're way higher, like abnormally higher. And they're eating a lot more fat-soluble vitamin-based foods, like potentially grass-fed butter or natural butter in itself that hold a lot more of these fat-soluble vitamins between vitamin A, D, E, and K. And they could test it and support it. And then they came back and said, maybe we exaggerated vitamin D because we miscalculated or we overly associated the value of vitamin D based off of having a lot more exposure to the natural elements and natural sunlight. And then potentially we looked at Northern European or this like Northern Hemisphere type of personnel with whiter or like lighter pigment skin and saying, they potentially maybe are more readily absorbing vitamin D and they might need it not always high year round because it's not necessary in terms of winter months. I just love the, the ability to come back and say, we may have over-exaggerated or misspoke on this, which is great. And I think that's a really good resource there, but that's, that would be where I would say it's just like, there's just all around. And the, the final one from an ancestral perspective would be Nora Goddess and Primal Body, Primal Mind. And she has another one called Primal Fat Burner. I don't think it was as good as Primal Body, Primal Mind, but it was another really good resource. And then Mark Bubbs from his book Peak. And then obviously Paul Check would be another really good resource. But he's not going to dive deep into blood. He's going to go through the things on the front end. What's going to improve blood? Yeah, it's going to be more preventative type stuff. Yeah. So, dude, Corey, man, this was awesome, man. I really appreciate you asking all these questions. And I'm pale in comparison here to my guy, Rob. So he's going to bring that heat. Yeah, Rob. Rob talking blood can get real intense real fast. So I'm looking forward to that one. Yeah, I was hoping it could be a good balance of like I'm the practical guy. But we'll see how it plays out. Yeah. All right. Thanks, Tim. I appreciate it. All right, Rob. What type of blood test do you like to run with your clients and athletes? 
So I always want to start with something super simple. We'll use a comprehensive metabolic panel. It'll be CMP on the on the orders. So you start with that and that gives you a lot of information that you can that can really be useful, especially when we're looking at basic supplementation, you know, electrolytes, looking at blood glucose. Do they need carbs? How many carbs should they have? What, you know, what's their diet looking like? And then, you know, when we look at questionnaires, we look at things like biosignature or metabolic analytics or whatever, you know, whatever it's going to be called next month. And then you can start to look, well, do I need estradiol or do I need progesterone? Do I need pregnenolone, right? Because you don't really need to start with all that unless somebody's coming to you telling you all these things are wrong. So comprehensive metabolic panel is best place to start. You can get a ton of information from that. Okay. And like, walk me through what tests are in the comprehensive metabolic panel. I know you cited a couple, but do you? Yeah. You so let's see, see if I can remember off the top of my head. I know there's glucose is going to be in there. You've got sodium, potassium. Uh, chloride, pretty much all your electrolytes are in there. Oh, geez, you've got, that's all I can really remember off the top of my head. There's about 10 to 15 things, but it's just all the basics. BUN creatinine ratio is in there. Let's see what else, what else, what else, what else? I believe HB1AC, yeah. right? Or a- I, that one should be in there. Glucose yeah. will definitely be in there. Uh, and then, you know, so I you get those things, you're, you're looking at, at a lot of really good information for what does their diet need to look like? You know, uh, with HbA1c, what has their diet looked like? Right, HbA1c is going to give you essentially like your your hemoglobin damage from glucose for the last like three months, so you know what's been going on. Then you got your electrolyte status. You got uh, BUN creatinine is a super powerful ratio that I don't think enough coaches really know how to utilize. So that one can really tell you one hydration status at the mitochondrial level. Like, what is the mitochondria actually doing? Is it is it making the water that it's supposed to be making from the diet? And then you can infer from that what's going on with the re- the relationships between the TCA cycle, between the methylation cycle, and between that urea cycle there, and really know you know the mitochondrial health. That could potentially, if you know how to interpret some other things better with some other data, you can really get an idea of what might be going on with brain chemistry, what might be going on with MTHFRs, with the methylation cycles. I really like potassium. So potassium, one potassium molecule can control or sorry, excuse me, uh, potassium will help you sort of figure out what's going on with the water that's in the cells, right? Uh, potassium sort of responsible for the structuring of the water. If there's not potassium in there, it won't turn into easy water. It won't structure. And so with potassium, that can basically tell you what's going on with ATP in the cell, right? With the water and, and those relationships. And then with ATP, eight, each ATP molecule controls 8,800 um, water molecules, right? And there's, then there's a relationship that backtracks with that with potassium uh, and ATP controls like 20 potassium binding sites. So by looking at that potassium level and you can, you can sort of get an idea with the ratio of potassium and, and knowing what's in the blood and knowing what's in the cell based on what you're looking at within, with the blood and and the same thing with chloride. So there's a lot of really useful info um, that you can get from a very basic, super cheap panel. That's almost always covered by insurance. Got it. Okay. So and a little bit off script, so I apologize for this, but it just had me thinking, when you get that basic panel back, you'll get the ranges of low, high, moderate, or moderate, high, or in range, or down a range, whether it's low or high. How is, I mean, I know they kick, keep kicking the goalpost down based off this normative data, making, like, seeing everyone get progressively less and less healthy, and they're kind of going the median, as opposed to, like, really looking at what is healthy ranges. How is that? I mean, this might be something you probably deal with a lot because I know I do of that. Hey, I just got all these ranges and they say I'm all within range. And you're like, you're definitely not healthy. 
like how do you handle that and how do you associate like what you're looking for with what these ranges from these blood tests really give you so one i think one of the most useful tools that i was able to get a hold of i don't know 10 15 years ago is just functional med- medicine like database ranges you know like what the functional range of t3 and reverse t3 and you know glucose even right so so knowing how to to interpret the range that lab is going to give you, right? Which, you know, Charles always used to say your norm now is basically Homer Simpson, which I think is very useful to be telling clients and athletes too. Like, Hey, I know this 115 blood glucose says it's in the normal range, but that's not good. And in here, you know, here's why. So you, you do need to, so many coaches will just be like, Oh, you know, that's not out of the normal range and insurance and all sorts of, but, but you can't explain why that's not good or, or the information that we have on like glucose, for example, right? Like this is one of the simplest ones. It's Kaiser did a study early two thousands. I think there was like 60,000 people. They followed them for uh, over a decade. I think it was maybe 20 years. And, and that test showed that for every one point above 84 of your blood glucose, your risk of diabetes went up sixfold, right? And then you look at your lab test and it's going to say, I want to, it's like, 80 to 120 is perfectly normal. So, you know, one of the, I think one of the big things that functional medicine interpretation will do is look more at trends, right? Like you're, you're trending towards diabetic, you're pre-diabetic, whereas your blood tests, you know, if there's, if it doesn't show something is out, there's basically no cause for concern. I mean, no matter if it's like, you know, if your blood glucose is going up five ticks every three months for a year, like we need to, we need to do something about that, you know, but your the way that standard medical model works and you I mean you talk to docs about this and they'd be like I can't order a test because I suspect something is wrong because if I order that test and it doesn't show up as like off I get bitched at by the insurance companies right so you know doctors are a bit hamstrung on this too even the ones that actually want to help or try to help they sometimes are are you know buckled by the system yeah yeah which you know I think is always the thing that we got to look at and I depend, depending on your audience, right? So I work with a lot of gen and pop. I know you do too, as well. You kind of have to have perspective of like you're above average percentile. Like if you're working out, if you're, if you're eating a, a somewhat structured diet, if you are mindful about recovery and not drinking excessive amounts of alcohol and eliminating a lot of, of these, like, it's funny, the, the term bad food, I've had a really interesting like there's some like pundits out there saying that there's no such thing as a bad food. There definitely is. And I, I starchly believe that there's bad exercise, there's bad programming, and it's definitely bad food. And it's not pornography because I know what it looks like when I see it. It definitely is objectively bad. But when you're working with these folks and they're in the higher percentile of the health, they might feel like a certain level of great. I am the best of the average or below average. And you're like, well, on the other end of the spectrum, I do work with elite level athletes and it's all about these small micro margins and that six or that 5.5 on HB1AC is just not good enough. It's bad. You know, when I first started 20 years ago, it was like, if they're over five, they're full blown diabetic. And now it's like 5.5 is like good. It's average, right? Yeah, it's great. Not even now, diabetic now. If I, yeah, if I, yeah, exactly. You're just straight, like you're healthy, like you're not. And like you're talking to someone of like, you know, your body comps, you know, 15 to 17 and your 
your blood glucose is like 95-ish and your HbA1c is like 5.2. And and then you start looking at these other things like cholesterol is kind of in range. And it's like, okay, like you're not unhealthy. I would say that, but it seems to me that you're interested in enough of this to like take it to the next level. And we got to start talking about what's going to move the needle to get you down sub 10% body fat. And it's going to be, hey, those ranges are not, not good enough. And that's when it hopefully starts influencing decisions, which I guess it's like what goes into my next question. When you're getting these results back, where would you say that's influencing your decisions the most? Is it training prescription? Is it diet prescription? Is it supplemental prescription? Is it this like recovery tactics and methods prescription? Where would you say that blood test overall as an aggregate is going to influence you the most in terms of your decisions after that? So I think the the blood test will have the most direct influence over nutrition and supplementation first, right? And then, you know, let's say we 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 get somebody with their their carb tolerance is terrible because their blood glucose is super high, and all right, we're gonna we're gonna pull some carbs back. So then that downstream then affects training, which will then affect you know recovery strategies. So the blood test will affect all of those things to varying degrees, but you know absolutely directly it's going to affect diet and then it should be dramatically affecting supplementation you know so many so many people who learn from charles want to just dish out all these supplements like everybody needs this everybody needs that everybody needs this without looking at anything like no no they don't vitamin d everyone does not need all of these things so looking at the labs can really help you dial in okay now we need this okay now we don't need that we'll stop spending money on it right because like your your foundational nutrients that that everyone wants to say is required aren't you know aren't required when my blood sugar like this was very counterintuitive my blood sugar was at its highest and my hba1c was at its highest so was my rbc magnesium mm. which is not what you would expect right like yeah. insulin resistance really shit magnesium however well, you know you get upon that why you got to, you got to dig deeper, right? Like that baffled the crap out of me. Cause that went yeah. against every single thing. Why is magnesium should, why is magnesium lower when insulin's higher? So there's a very intricate uh, relationship with how magnesium helps with insulin and with ATP and with all those sorts of things. Right. So you have this, this weird relationship of how magnesium uh, helps insulin sensitivity and then how insulin helps then in turn get more magnesium into the cell. So mm. it's a, it's a very intricate relationship and it's, uh, you know, complex at insulin signal transduction and all that stuff that nobody really cares about. But basically, you know, what you would, what you would expect is insulin, bad magnesium low, right? So, mm. so the, the mindset is always, well, if you're insulin resistant, you need to take more magnesium, uh, which was, you know, and like my, my RBC mag, I'm looking at functional ranges. I'm on the high end of like Charles's functional range, which is crazy high. Mm-hmm. So it's like, when you look at that instance, you're like, all right, I, that guy is, which was me, right. Is, is taking all the magnesium they need to take, but they're still eating like an asshole, which I was at the time. Right. So it's, it's, question it's more, deeper. What was your iron levels at the time? Ferritin was high. I don't, I don't remember what the iron was, but I, cause I didn't really stand out. You know, it's just like, I was, you know, so ferritin is one of those things is it, it's interesting being a, a negative, negative phase reactant or negative acute phase reactant. So, you know, that's going to indicate inflammation. So if you're not, happen to not check something like HSCRP or some of those levels, right. You've got 
you got lots of, of indicators there. When vitamin D is low, that's a negative acute phase reactant. So there's all those things where something's causing that to be low, not just looking at, you know, this knee jerk reaction. Cause everybody in our community really wants to shit all over MDs and Western medicine for doing certain things. And then functional medicine and all these people turn around and do the exact same thing. <laughs> you know, it's like, here, just take this for that. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's what so many people in our field complain about doctors doing. And well, just because we're doing it with B12 and vitamin D makes it better. It, it doesn't, you're not actually getting to the root cause. That's the whole thing with functional medicine is get to the root cause. So like, like me with the, with the magnesium, right. So that's an important marker. Cause now I can rule out, you know, this was like a couple of years ago, I guess, or a year ago, but you can rule out magnesium deficiency in, in any form or fashion as being a driver for, for that insulin dysfunction. Now, we counter that with some labs I just looked at that I'm, I'm reviewing right now for a client who's overweight, struggling to to lose weight, is having casein issues with dairy, like the, the inflammatory markers for that are crazy high. So we're consuming too much dairy. Uh, ferritin is elevated in that instance. HSCRP is a little elevated in that instance, but magnesium is super low and blood glucose is too high. So Ooh. we look at that person. Like, okay, we can, now we can utilize some information that we have. Like, all right, if we get you a little bit more magnesium, that can be something that helps if we make the dietary adjustments. But then when you look at, you know, my case, nothing was going to help. Like I didn't need more magnesium. I just needed to stop eating crappy foods too late at night. Right. And my blood glucose went down, go figure. And I didn't need, I didn't need the magnesium that everyone would tell you that person needs. Yeah. Which though, like. I can imagine, let's say that you were your own client and you're looking for the unified theory of supplementation and nutrition and you go to stop eating like a child at 7 p.m. at night and you're like, well, yeah, but like how much should I be taking a gram plus of magnesium? Should I be doing more torate or or three and eight? Like, no, <laughs> just stop eating like a child. Like it would feel like and I, th I find that quite a bit. But I guess the, the thing that I kind of want to come back to here, which is a lot of the things we, we talked about the structural balance is a lot of the things is this association with we're trying to write the overall aggregate things that most people are doing poorly over a longer period of time with these like large generic kind of like things of like, all right, most people are going to be over consuming very sweet, savory foods. Most people are going to be in a caloric surplus. Most people aren't exercising enough. Most people are are eating things that are generally leading to or having lifestyles that can lead to overall like high inflammation. So you're like, okay, well, let's just throw these things at them in like bulk. Like just like we should be working external rotation in the shoulder and and tib anterior raises of the of the lower leg. Like it's just gonna right the wrongs of all the benching and all the all the crappy positions we've been in. The same thing with magnesium or something like fish oil or uh, zinc or even to the other part of like, I mean, how many times did we go through the hydrochloric acid test at Charles? Like, or just keep going until you feel a burning sensation. Like, really? Like, that seems aggressive. Like, and then you pop in 10 HEL pills every single time. And like, and then the joke is we talk about all the time with Charles is like, oh my God, you have the worst gut or the worst worst blood i've ever seen like the worst like really the absolute worst of the thousands of people you've seen like it just seems hard to believe that this is the absolute worst but it gets into this like thing of like you start to look like trends or the norm you know most people eat like shit and don't exercise enough and have poor lifestyle so you're like give them magnesium give them fish oil give them zinc and then that's the I don't know what the fuck I'm doing protocol, right? Throw a multi in there. If it's a male, make sure it doesn't have calcium. 
calcium and iron. And then if it's female, make sure it does have iron and like, and like just build off of that. But it goes into this like next question I have of when you meet me, for instance, and you're like, all right, hey, Rob, I really need your help here. What's shaping the decisions on the blood work? Is it, hey, a pre-interview going into like, all right, I know a blood test I need to pull, or is it the blood test going, okay, now I know what I need to ask. How, how are you forming that, that progression? So there's a few, like a few different strategies you can use depending on what the tools in your toolbox are, right? Like, so one of the things I'll do is I know automatic, I'm going to get the CMP. So if I don't suspect anything, if I, you know, if nothing's come up from previous issues or like, so a good example, right? I have a, I just took on a new client who has, oh geez, celiac. So when we looked at blood work, I wanted to see 25D. I want to see 125D because she's taking 50,000 from her doctor, right? I wanted to see several things outside of the CMP based on everything. 25D is D2 and and 125D is D3. Uh, no, 25D is also D3. So, okay. so 25 is the, the, the blood form and 125 is the actual uh, worker. So um, the relationship is very important because 125 basically directs the immune system. Um, most of the time, what we'll end up seeing in, in all autoimmune conditions is uh, 25 will present as low in the blood, which you would expect. But usually 90 plus, 95% plus the time in autoimmune disease is 25 is low and 125 is exceptionally high. Mm. Uh, so now if you think about that, right, with that person taking 50,000 IUs of 25D, the substrate for the molecule that is directing the immune system to attack itself, that's not a great idea, right? So that is a, one of those things where knowing that 25D, the, the usually the only marker that you'll check for that in the blood is a negative acute phase reactant. So it is not low. Most often it's not low from lack of production, right? Because we don't really need a ton of 25D in the blood. But when that's low, that gives you an indicator that it's usually low for a reason. So you want to start looking for other for other things. So when somebody presents like that, then I'm going to go do a little bit of fact finding with a few things beyond the CMP, right? Because 25D is not standard on the CMP. 125D is not standard on anything. With that particular person, I, I wanted to see a, a HSCRP. She's, she mentioned having iron issues. So I wanted to see iron panels. I wanted to see ferritin to see what that negative acute phase reactant was looking like. So you've got those things, right? Where, you, where you're presented with basically like your, your, when you go through a questionnaire aspect or just talking to a client on their, on their first intake. And then you, then you can look at more things uh, from the biosignature side, right? So if I'm going through profiles and I, I come up upon somebody with cortisol or an adrenal issue, then I'm going to, I'm going to definitely want to make sure I look at a cortisol melatonin curve and a DHEA sulfate and see how those things are uh, arranged with one another, which again, are all beyond that, that basic CMP. Uh, if we've got an estrogen, you know, profile presenting, I want to look at the the PGE2 ratio and see what's going on there. If I've got any other sort of androgen issue, then I'm going to want to look a little deeper at the androgens in relation to the estrogens and progesterone in there too, right? So you've got all these these little tools that you can start to utilize where you don't have to just order, you know, eight vials of blood as your default, you know, where you can just do your CMP, which I think is about two vials, maybe three, you know, very, very uninvasive. And then you can start fact finding because most of these tests, your clients are going to have to come out of pocket on, you know, like the 25D, 125D ratio, critically important for autoimmune conditions is out of pocket. You're not going to be able to find that, you know, so there's a lot of things like that where you don't just want to shout you know, out to discountlabs.com. You can order all <laughs> a car at a very reduced rate and it gets run through Quest. But yeah. So 
want to go into this because I think this is cool. So I'm, what I got from that is it kind of depends, but let's just say for some sort of hypothetical, you have no real knowledge of me, you have nothing on that. It's going to go interview, body comp, blood test. Yep. Okay. Want to do a rapid fire if you're game here. Kind of give you some things. Okay. No pressure. All right. So for the context, context biosig or essentially bioprint, 11 site, 13 site, really depending how you want to run it. Essentially, everything's working off a tricep and pack and tricep specifically. So if we look at tricep, it's going to be the the androgen site and everything's going to be based ratio wise off of that. So if I have very low tricep and very high pack, you're going to look at it potentially as uh, not utilizing the testosterone and maybe potentially an aerobotase, you might want to look at quad hamstring, which would be associated with estrogens. But that's just hypothetical. So I give you some sort of context for the listener out there. I'm going to hit you with potentially some high relative stuff and you just give me your blood test that you think you should pull. Okay. All right. So low tricep, three millimeters, excessively high umbilical, let's say 30 millimeters plus. Salivary cortisol melatonin curve, DHEA sulfate, PGE2, and then free and total test. Love it. Still same three millimeter tricep, 20 millimeter subscap. Uh, HbA1c, glucose, insulin, a fasting insulin, and you could potentially look at fructosamine as well. So with HbA1c and fructosamine, you have varying degrees of, of time essentially, right? HbA1c is going to give you like three months. Fructosamine starts to give you closer to that two, two week, one month range. So you can see what ha- you know what was happening there are trends for, from a few months ago but then that also gives you if you're making monthly interventions fructosamine is going to be a good a good measure because you'll see that change a, a little bit faster awesome okay now high tricep let's say 10 millimeters high pec 15 millimeters high hamstring 40 millimeters all right, so we'd look at DHEA sulfate just to see what's going on in some of the, the pathways. I'd like to see the the PGE2 ratio, looking at those, and then you definitely want to see free and total test, give you an idea of the conversion that's going on. And this one might be a good contender for something like Dutch or, or organic acids, because when we start to look at this conglomeration of, of fat storage, it could potentially be a, a very a detoxification problem, like heavy, uh, heavy on the detoxification side. So something like organic acids or Dutch could potentially give you a very specific indicator of where in those pathways that something is going wrong in detoxification. So it might not be so much be an overexposure issue, right? Like lots of times with detox, what we run into is, you know, the garbage is getting to the curb, but nobody's coming to pick it up. So it just sort of builds up, builds up, builds up. So what the, what the Dutch or, or organic acids or something like that could give you a, a potentially a better indicator on is which one of those issues is happening. Is the garbage getting to the curb or is it never even getting out of the house, so to speak? Mm. So could potentially look at that. I would do the organic acids or the Dutch after blood because what, you know, the blood will tell you more specifically. So the, the leg ratios and the, the pec and the triceps, or, you know, as, as you said, are going to tell us relative is, am I over converting testosterone into estrogen where the organic acids might be really useful on that? 
However, if we look at a couple other things, melatonin is the most potent aromatase inhibitor that we know of, uh, far more potent than uh, zinc and, and any of those others. So you could even, knowing that, if you suspect circadian dysfunction and sleep disorders, you could potentially go there first because that's usually just salivary and, and look at that and see if we're just trash on, on sleep cycle melatonin. And that might be the driving factor of why you're having, you know, why nobody's coming to pick up the garbage. Awesome. Dude, that was sweet. Last question. I'm a strength coach. What do you think are the tests I should be doing? And then what kind of frequency should I be doing it at? On yourself as the coach? Yeah. So, Hey, Rob, strength coach. I work 60 hours a week. I got a 5 a.m. to 8 p.m. day most days of the week and rarely any weekends off. And I'm doing that 50 weeks a year. What blood test should I be cognizant of? And how often should I get it? So I like to see them in that instance at least every 12 weeks. Um, And, you know, we'll make them less invasive. And occasionally we may, you know, every six months, we may check a couple of extra things, right? So starting with the CMP is going to give you your, you know, all your basics, electrolytes, how your mitochondria is functioning, basic blood glucose. Uh, you could even add HbA1c to that if, it, if it's not standard. I just, I just can't remember. But then because of the job, we want to look at the salivary melatonin, cortisol curve, and DHEA sulfate, because that's really going to give you an, an indicator of what your stress is doing to your hormones and what your, what your lifestyle, essentially what the job is doing to your hormone profile. So you can get a really good indicator on that and either look at, do I need some sort of supplementation to facilitate better production? Or is this just a sleep wake, you know, issue? Is this a a deeper circadian issue? Is it a light exposure issue that drives the hormones? So you get a ton of indicators from those very basic tests. And most of that should get you out the door in under a hundred 150 bucks for sure. Probably under a hundred in most States. Mm. Damn, Rob, that is sweet, man. That is a ton of information. <laughs> yeah. I, we're going to have some notes on this. We're going to have, have some resources on it, but if you're not a member of the, of the website, you're pretty much El Scrudo unless you want to press stop and start a hundred times for this 25 minute segment. Thank you, Rob. I really appreciate you going on in, in as much detail as you did. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me. It. Lot to unpack right there. One of the things that I really want you to consider here is the thing that when you do when you start to learn about blood panels and pulling blood tests is not about how much you can get outside your scope. It's more about how much you can push your level, push your level of understanding and comprehension and ability to serve and help your athletes and clients. I don't think it's a bad thing to try to understand the residual impact from what we're suggesting to our clients and athletes from a training standpoint, from a nutrition and supplementation standpoint. Obviously, we have a clinical level that we can't go into from diagnosing and treating, but I think there's a healthy relationship with, hey, we're going to interject and utilize a certain protocol or methodology like a carb-restricted or fat-centric type of diet protocol or vice versa, or if we're implementing a high-stress training program, if we're implementing something that's going to be in a super compensatory-like action, that there's going to be a consequence in action elsewhere. And it could be a negative consequence if we're not tracking and triangulating all these things in the right direction. So the point is when we look at blood panels, it's a means to stretch yourself to a level that you didn't think you were ready for or capable of. 
At this point, you should have a really healthy understanding of exercise physiology, biochemistry, and then understanding the impact from an endocrinology standpoint, not a bad thing. So dive into these resources that we have listed within the notes. If you're not a member, again, become a member so you can access all the notes, suggested resources. Rob mentioned several articles. We have those listed within the notes. It is a must-have to have all of the corresponding research and resources to help you understand this stuff. And remember, it's not just... It's not just what you do today, it's what you're doing over a period of time that makes you a great strength coach. So put in the work, it's just a start. Hope you guys enjoy. If you guys can, please like, subscribe, and follow. It helps a ton.